Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of scripture toward which we want to direct our thoughts, taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, chapter 23, verses 35 through 43. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others, let let him save himself if, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what, uh, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, or then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Awesome words. Every sin, every sin is a rebuke of God's authority or a challenge to God's authority. Every sin that we do, no matter how big or how small it might be in our own mind, all of them are sins and damnable before the Lord God. Yes, they are damnable. But there's one sin that goes back to the garden uh, when Adam and Eve fell into the first sin that, that, that just sends shivers down my spine. It was when, when, when Adam tried to justify what he had done, tried to justify his disobedience. And you remember what he said? He said this, the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit and I ate. Now, generally when I read those words, there's usually some husband in the crowd that will nudge his wife and turn to her and mouth the words, see? But you know, that isn't really, that isn't really what sends shivers down my, uh, my spine. Maybe it should. <laughs> but it's, it's what comes, what, what's also said there. Blames God. The woman you put here with me. God, it's your fault. Ooh. How he needed cleansing from his sin. And quite frankly, how he needed his mouth washed out with soap to come against God and blame God for the sin that he himself did. You know, ever since then, now people have been doing exactly the same thing. Passing the buck, blaming someone else instead of accepting authority, trying to shift whatever evil onto someone else as the cause instead of being accountable themselves. Happens all the time. Unfortunately, we live uh, not too far from a city where that happens all the time, right? Where Democrats... Blame Republicans, Republicans they blame Democrats, where the president uh, uh, blames his predecessor and his predecessor blames the president. We see that all the time. 
all the time. When I was in college, actually when I graduated from college, the first right after I got out of college, I went out and worked in Montana. And while I was out there, that's when the, the uh, uh, hearings were going on uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, the, uh, the one that, that finally led to the, to the ouster, uh, the resignation of our, our, our president, right? Watergate. I had a fascination with that. It was hard in Montana to, to get all kinds of news, especially where we were in the very northwest corner. But like I said, I was fascinated with it. And when the summer was over, I was trying to keep up with it during the summer. And there was someone else there that was also feeling the same way about it. We used to talk about it all the time. And then there was this, uh, the, the time when we came back. And you could turn on the TV. You could turn on public uh, public television, and, and they would have these hearings going on and on and on. I always thought it was fascinating TV. But they brought all kinds of witnesses forward for some of the evil that was done. And I remember this phrase that was said by one witness after another, after another, after another. I was acting on orders from my superiors. I was acting on orders from my superiors. Someone else made me do it. And finally, the most superior of all, and rightly so, was blamed, and he resigned from the presidency. Pass the buck. We say it happens all the time, and it does. That's, we say, human nature. But we need to also include that's sinful human nature. Today we turn our attention, we turn our attention to, uh, to these words that were spoken to, uh, to a penitent sinner, to a penitent criminal on the cross. And don't you think it's amazing that on the cross that he would confess his sins to Jesus pour out his heart, and it was there that Jesus gave him some wonderful news. That in spite of the fact that he was going to die in hours, in minutes, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. So, let's talk about Jesus' hope for the hopeless. Let's take a look at the plea of the, of the, uh, of the criminal, criminal in the first place. Let's take a look at Jesus' answer of peace. Now, there were three crosses up there, weren't there? Three crosses. We always picture it, and we see murals and paintings that the middle cross always seems to be a little bit higher. <laughs> well, it may have, may have not been, but I'll tell you this, that middle cross was the one that people paid attention to. That's the one they came to see, because that's the one on which Jesus hung. Spikes through his hands and through his feet, bleeding and abused, bludgeoned and bloody. And there he was before the world, our Savior God. The one, although people didn't know it, they came to see. Isaiah the prophet said it was going to happen over 700 years before Jesus was born. He wrote uh, in the 52nd chapter, at the end of the 52nd chapter, 
that goes into Isaiah chapter 53 that talks all about uh, the Jesus, Jesus uh, uh, on the cross. But in the end of chapter 52, it says that just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Yes, Jesus was a mess. He truly was a mess. Totally exhausted. He had had no sleep. Probably hungry because he had no food. Probably dehydrated because no one was so kind to give him any kind of water. His face beaten, swollen by all the, all the shots he took to the face. We heard about it. He put a, a covering over his head and then wham. And think about his back. 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. With those nine tails there having little stones or metal on it. Slammed against the back. His back must have looked like hamburger with skin and muscle uh, hanging off the sides. Those of you who have seen uh, Passion of Christ, you remember that scene? When I saw it, you could hear a pin drop in a full theater. And that's our Savior God. That's our Savior God. But it's there that some Bible critics try to find some inconsistencies. You see, if you looked at the same, same uh, incident, you go to the Gospel of Matthew and it says this. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Then in Luke, what does it say? It says this, that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what that penitent criminal's name was. Tradition says that it's Dismas. Dismas. But it says that at the beginning, when all three of them were hung there, that the two that were on his left and on his right, that both of them were following along with all the other people and insulting and mocking and ridiculing Jesus and showing their, uh, their hate and their spite. But then look what happened. In all this chaos, in all this brutality, the Holy Spirit was at work. And what did the Holy Spirit do? But he made the one criminal, the penitent criminal, realize his own sin and then turn to faith in Jesus. Awesome, isn't it? While the other criminal taunted Jesus, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the penitent criminal, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same judgment? We are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. In Jesus' dying hour, in the criminal's dying hour, the penitent criminal saw who Jesus was, why he had come, what he had come to do. It truly is awesome. Stunning, don't you think? 
Like I said, in all this chaos, all this chaos, the Holy Spirit was working on the man hanging next to Jesus on the cross and brought him the faith. And here we are. All right, here we are. Um, 2,000 years later, we've been taken into God's family. We've been baptized into Christ, right? Baptized into Christ. We've been clothed with his righteousness. Our sins have been washed away. We have a new nature in us that loves the Lord and wants to please the Lord. But you know what? We also have another kind of nature in us, one that we were born with. It didn't go away. And it's not just a little bit. That human nature, that human sinful nature, leads us to do some very awful things. I mean, here this man was defending Jesus. Here he was defending Jesus. But what have we done? When Jesus' name was raked over the coals somewhere, and we were standing by, did we stand up? Did we stand up for Jesus? Did we defend him? Or did we just kind of melt into the background or try to walk away? If someone who was blaspheming Jesus eventually finds out that we were Christian, would they be surprised? When Jesus' name is used to curse and swear and damn something to hell, do we stand up for Christ? Do we say, hey, don't use my Savior's name like that? Or do we just zip our lips and take it? Hmm. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. And yet, when you take a look at this, here's this penitent criminal who was the first one to acknowledge the fact that Jesus was his king. Right? He was. He said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. All kinds of people mocked Jesus in his kingdom. You think of Pilate. He had, asked, uh, he had asked Jesus, you are king then, aren't you? Or, or, you know, he claimed to be. It's always interesting just what emphasis he put on the words. You are a king then? Well, Pilate obviously didn't believe it, and you know why? Because he didn't do anything to save him. But rather let the Jews have their way and try to wash his hands when he had the power to allow this innocent man to go free. He had nothing to do with Jesus' kingdom. Or then you think about the Jews themselves. The people who hated the Romans, you know, <laughs> and, and the thought of Caesar being their king. <laughs> but what did they do? They brought charges against Jesus that he was somehow, somehow going against the, uh, the Roman king, going against Caesar. In fact, they said it like this, we have no king but Caesar as they feigned loyalty to that royalty. Or how about the Roman soldiers? They didn't think much of Jesus' kingdom either, did they? They, uh, they dressed him to mock him, 
with a purple robe, a robe of power and royalty. They jammed a crown of thorns on his head. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. And they beat him and slapped him. And then hung him on the cross. Or how about the disciples? They weren't much better either, were they? Because they didn't understand. They didn't understand Jesus' kingdom. Not at all. Because they thought that Jesus' kingdom was all about what? That he was going to be the second David, a sequel. And that somehow uh, that Israel, and he was going to do it, restore Israel into a great mighty nation again. But the penitent sinner, that was something else. He understood who Jesus was, and he understood his kingdom. How do we know that? <laughs> well, he just said it. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He understood that Jesus' kingdom was one of power, grace, and glory. What do we mean about his power? The fact that he is indeed, in spite of what he was seeing, that he was indeed the creator of the entire universe, that he's the one that makes all things work together for the good of the church. And, and even there in that chaotic situation, when he was being put to death, God was using that, Jesus was using that to free the world from the guilt of sin that there was a greater trial, there was a greater suffering that was going on, not just given by men, but by God himself to pay for the sins of all. All things work together for good to them that love God. His is a kingdom of power. And his is a kingdom of grace. <laughs> because all it accomplished was free, total, forever forgiveness. No conditions. It was all about mercy. Because that's what God's kingdom is all about. For those who are part of his kingdom know that God is a gracious God. And what about the kingdom of glory? Well, that's where it's all headed. Is it not? Today you will be with me in paradise. And we have that same promise that we're going to go to the place that's told us, that's ascribed to us in the Bible, where it says that it's a city that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. It says in another place that it's the place where the nations will walk by light, by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will their gates be, its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the kingdom of glory. And that's the kingdom of that that penitent sinner, that criminal understood. And he was also the first one. He was the first one to really plead for mercy as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, right? No one else was. He was the first and only. We're punished justly, he said, for the deeds, uh, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. Yes, he was getting punished justly, but Jesus was not. 
You know, some have said, and I, I like this thought, that this criminal, this criminal was the very first convert to the New Testament church. And here we are, people who follow. And what a lesson that teaches us. What a lesson that teaches us. That no matter how far we've strayed from God's truth, that no matter how deep we have brought sin onto ourselves, no matter how, how uh, high or how boundless our sins are, or how much we have repeated them again and again and again, there is forgiveness for us that Jesus on the cross paid for them all. And he says to you and to me, he says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The absolution, the absolute absolution of sin. And it's so personal. It was given directly to that criminal and it's given to you and to me too, that we as individuals are forgiven. There's something that I, I saw and I want to I read it because it's so cool. He says, there are no ifs, no ands, or buts. There are no conditions, no strings attached, no money to pay, no prerequisites, no qualifications we must fulfill. Salvation is by grace and grace alone. One theologian said it like this as he was speaking about the, the uh, penitent thief. He said, on the morning of his death, the thief was still caught in the grip of his sin. At noon, he was in the safe grasp of God's grace, and at night he was brought into the gleam of glory. He could offer God absolutely nothing. He had no credibility. He was being punished for, for some crime that he was worthy of death, and he understood it, and yet what does God say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Today, maybe I should say something about that. There's no other place between here and heaven that we have to go. No cleansing place. No place where people can buy us out of. There is no purgatory. Today you will be with me in paradise. And yet, to the person who doesn't believe, and there is a tragedy here too, because there was another thief, right? The one that didn't repent. And where is he? We'll never meet him. Even though those events were occurring right before his eyes, he did not believe. He did not believe. And so will happen with those who don't believe. No paradise. Only hell to suffer. Only hell. When we take a look at our lives, dear Christians, we need to understand something that our lives can be taken from us at any time. Over my ministry, I've, I've had people where you, where you get phone calls in the middle of the night and someone's in the hospital or someone died or someone was in a car accident. And as a pastor, you say, it's the very reason why I'm here, to preach salvation, to preach what Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. We all need to take that very seriously because we can get into a car and we can drive away from here and what may happen 
God forbid, but what may happen? The Apostle Paul was brought before a governor called Felix. Felix gave Paul a lot of time. And Paul was preaching to him about salvation, about Jesus. But the moment he got to the last thing, God's judgment, that's when Felix said, hold everything. In fact, Felix said this, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Well, you know what? He never sent for the Apostle Paul. He never got to finish the story, the truth. And the fact of the matter is, we need always to be ready and to be repenting. And that's how we do get ready. Acknowledge our sin and in faith understand that's why Jesus came to pay for our sins, to promise to us that the day that we die, we will receive paradise. Copernicus, Copernicus was a great scientist. He was actually excommunicated from the Catholic Church because he believed that the world was round and the Catholic Church believed that it was flat. But he never lost his Christianity. And the reason why we know that is because he said that he wanted on his gravestone, on his tombstone, these words. Not for the grace of Paul I ask, not for the love one shown to Peter. Only the forgiveness bestowed on the thief. For this I humbly petition. What a humble confession. And let be our, our confession too. And when things get hopeless in our life, when we approach the time when God's going to call us home, always remember there's more. There's paradise. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.